Welcome back to Outer Assembly of God and welcome to our series entitled Stories Jesus Told. See, we've been looking at parables. And what we've seen about parables is that Jesus told stories about some very familiar things, and it was to present spiritual truth. And so Jesus told things that would relate to his audience, to the people that he would see and interact with. Sometimes it was disciples. Sometimes it was the crowd at large. And it creates and conveys an incredible message. Now, today's story, today's parable, it reminds me of a game that I've played. It's a game that I played as a child. It's a game that I played as a teenager, a game that I've played as an adult. I would venture to say probably every single one of you have played this game at some point in time. It's probably one of the most popular games in the entire world because anybody can play this game. And you don't need any materials or supplies to play this game. It's, it's called hide-and-seek. And what does it involve? It involves hiding and seeking. Uh, some of my earliest memories of uh, playing hide-and-seek, I was a kid uh, between the ages of 4 and 14 growing up in Springfield, Illinois. My dad was pastoring First Assembly of God in Springfield. And a nice church facility, sanctuary that, that sat several hundred and all these different hallways and passageways. And, and there was kind of an education wing that had an upstairs and a downstairs and all kinds of classrooms and nursery rooms. And, and there was a chapel and a gymnasium and a fellowship hall and stairways all over the place. And we knew all the nooks and crannies and where we could hide for hide-and-seek. I, I remember hiding in, in the, we had a large nursery, and you've probably seen, of course, this was back in the day, so I would, it had been in the 80s, and maybe you've seen or experienced these, uh, we, we almost called them prisoner cages. You know where you've got like the, uh, the two levels of uh, nursery things with the, I don't know, the, the wooden doors, so you kind of slide it open. And, and so two levels, so you can have one up here and you can have one down here. Uh, we had a nursery filled with those. Great hiding places. We'd run and jump on the top one. We'd try to cover up, you know, with blankets. I mean, hide and seek with a bunch of kids roaming all over the church. Certainly, you know, you grow up as a teenager and adult and get married and have kids, and you're playing it all over again with your kids. Autumn and Brooklyn, right? We're, we're playing hide and seek. Now, I must confess, Autumn and Brooklyn, when we played hide and seek, we pretty much knew where you were hiding. Hate to break it to you. But we would, you know, when you've played with kids or grandkids, you know, you would walk into a room in a house and you would hear them kind of giggling <laughs> because they found the, the spot that they didn't think you could find. Or maybe they're, you know, they're standing uh, behind drapes, but their feet are sticking out of the bottom. Or they're moving or they're rattling around in a, in a closet or something like that. And so, you know, you would go into the room and you'd, you'd move some things and look around. Oh, they must not be in here. And you go to the next room and the next room and the next room. And eventually you make your way back to where you know they are and you find them. And it's been interesting, you know, I've squeezed myself under a bed. I've squeezed myself and sucked in, you know, in a closet trying to close that closet door and, and you just... Being six foot and some, it's 
you know, a little harder to find some places than when you're playing with little ones, right? One of my favorite all-time memories of hide-and-seek uh, was, was when we were here and in our home, and Brooklyn was probably three, four years old, and we were hiding and seeking, and I found Brooklyn, and it was such a cute hiding spot. I had to go grab my phone or camera and take a picture. This is where she was hiding, under the bed. Now, you see, the only part of her actually under the bed was her head. Shoulders, body, and legs were all sticking out. And, and it's probably the, the truth, you know, with kids that if they can't see you, you can't see them. And so I'm, I'm sure we went in the room, rustled a few things, left, and eventually came back and we found Brooklyn. Hide and seek. Now, you know that when you're playing the game, I think it's written in the, in the bylaws and the constitution of the game, that the seeker typically has a phrase to say. Did, did you know it's in the bylaws? If it's not in the bylaws, you at least had to, in your honor system, you, you had to say it. You know, many times you would say, count to 10, count to 20, count to 30, count to whatever. And then when you're done, you, you go find somebody. And typically, this was the phrase you would say. You probably said it too. Ready or not, here I come. Now, it's different, you know, in a house when you're playing with your girls and, you know, when you say, ready or not, here I come, no matter where you are in the house, you can hear it. Now, when we were playing in the church with multiple levels and multiple rooms, you know, we'd count and, and you don't really know. When that person is counting and we say count to 50 because we got a big building, they could start saying, you know, one, two, three, and everybody leaves the room. And they pause a little bit and they're like, uh, 48, 49, 50, right? You know, come on. You've had some people cheat playing that game. But whenever you say ready or not, here I come, that, that lets everybody know it's fair game. To be ready because at any point, the seeker might open the door. They might come into that room that you're hiding in or that hallway or classroom, and they could come at any moment. In a sense, that's what we're going to be looking at in Jesus' story, Jesus' parable. Turn with me to Matthew chapters 24 and 25. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is talking about the future, and he talks about the destruction of the temple to come. Then he talks about signs of the end of times. And, and here's how you know when it's the end of times. Then he talks about the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. He's referring to himself. And so all of chapter 24, you're going to see, is read. It's something that Jesus is speaking on. So then we come to Matthew chapter 25. He spent all of chapter 24 talking about things to come. Chapter 25, verse 1, reading in the ESV, he says, The kingdom of heaven will be like. It's a formula he uses very often. We've discovered that. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, when he talks about what's to come, he says, this is like. In other words, here's a story. 
Here's the parable. Here's something that's about to come. I'm going to share with you. He says, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Virgins, more or less referring to young women, typically the bridesmaids, ready for the groom. Now, we know that this is referring to a wedding, but it's a little bit different from some of today's cultural settings when it comes to a wedding. See, in biblical times, uh, the bride's father, the groom's father would meet together and oftentimes draw up some kind of official contract. Sounds lovey, right? Sounds romantic. It was considered then the engagement period followed by a betrothal that involved some vows and binding promises. They're, they're betrothed to one another. But then time would be spent, sometimes even up to a year, where the groom, the bridegroom, would prepare a place for them to live. Most likely and most oftentimes an addition to the father's house. This, this wasn't go find an apartment and, you know, go way down uh, to some other country. Many times it was adding on to the father's house. When finished, when ready, the groom, the bridegroom would come and take her home to his house. We see this mention as the background of Jesus' words. John chapter 14, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. Some versions would talk about mansions, rooms probably more accurate in this context. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus, again, he's alluding to and referring to this wedding and marriage situation where the groom comes for the bride and takes the bride to be with him. Jesus as the bridegroom coming for the bride, the church, the Christians, the believers. Now, oftentimes this process then would take place at night. The bridesmaids, the young virgins would have lamps ready to light the way. So all of that is background and context, a, a little different. Today's day and age and culture, it, it's kind of all focused and centerpieced around the bride. But here it's the bridegroom. The groom is Everybody is waiting on pins and needles. When is the groom coming? And so if we take this story, we take this parable that Jesus is speaking about, and we boiled it down to two words, it would be this, live ready. Jesus is encouraging you, he's challenging me, that we must live ready. We're going to take a look at some descriptions of living ready as we walk our way through Jesus' story. So first of all, what does living ready mean? Living ready is a wise decision. Let's pick it up in Matthew 25, verse 2. In this story, and there's ten virgins or bridesmaids, he says five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now stop right there and just note that as you dig into the scriptures and commentaries, even in some of your study Bibles or notes, there's a friendly scholarly debate 
over whether they took no oil or little oil. Some would say they just had a little bit of oil in their lamps, and as we're about to see later on, it runs out and they have none. Other scholars will look to this to say, no, the interpretation is they brought nothing with them, anticipating that they would be helped out. Either way, little oil or no oil, the principle is the same. They're not ready. Foolish ones were not ready. The wise ones were living ready, and they had plenty of oil. It was common for the bridegroom to be delayed. It, it was not as if, hey, the wedding is this afternoon, Saturday afternoon at 1.30, noon. It's when the bridegroom was coming. Everybody says, hey, he's coming. It's on. And so they would need to live or be ready. For you and I, we must live ready. And Jesus is challenging and encouraging you and I. It's a wise decision. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to be returning. In fact, 17 Old Testament books foreshadow and prophesy the coming again of the Messiah. And 23 of 22 New Testament books mentions the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, boil it down even further, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament references or teaches or describes Jesus coming back. It's not just Jesus talking about or teaching about it. There's other scriptures throughout the epistles as well. Jesus is coming back, and so you and I must live ready. That's a wise decision. People have been making predictions and comments for years about Jesus coming and the second coming. In fact, one person said this, The last days are upon us. Weigh carefully the times. Sounds like somebody said that last week. In fact, that was Ignatius in the year 110 A.D. In the year 375 was this quote, There is no doubt the Antichrist has already been born. Years and years and years have taken place when people are looking to the future, looking for the return, and they know it's imminent. They know he's coming. He said it. In fact, when the year 1,000 was approaching, 1,000, many Christians decided not to plant any crops. No need because Jesus was coming. How about Martin Luther in the 1500s? His quote was this, The world will not last longer than another hundred years. I was a teenager, middle schooler, 14 years old in 1988, some of you might remember the book or teaching, 88 Reasons Jesus is Returning in 1988. It was big. It was all over the news. And it was a, a man who had, had come across and his study said, hey, the, the Bible says no one knows the day or the hour, but certainly we can narrow it down to the week. And he said it's during this particular week of 1988. I remember being in school. Some airplane or jet plane flew super low over the school and freaked the whole class out. But Jesus did not return in 1988. The man corrected himself and said, 89 reasons he's returning in 1989. That didn't happen. And there have been multiple occasions 
People have said Jesus is coming. How many of you remember Y2K? Remember the confusion as we're leading up to the year 2000. We're living in 1999. Fear and hysteria are setting in because, uh, you know, though there were some cell phones and things, electronics, computers run everything, right? Our, our banking systems, all kinds of things are run by computers and electronics. And, and the belief was the way the programs were written, when 1999 would turn to 2000, it would cause havoc with the computer systems. And so, you know, the banking systems is just going to go kaput. Everything's going to be destroyed. So you've got to be ready. And January 1st, 2000 came and didn't really seem to be too many hiccups. Jesus had not returned. How about 10 years ago in the year 2012? Apparently, the Mayan calendar only went to 2012, or at least that's what the movie indicated. It was the end of the world. But suffice it to say, time after time after time after time, people are looking for the return of Jesus. The reality is this, though. Jesus is coming again. And as he tells this story to them, the truth is, as true for you and I as it is for them, we must live ready. It's a wise decision to do so. Whether people were talking about it hundreds of years ago, tens of years ago, a handful of years ago, or today, the wise decision is to live ready because Jesus is returning. Now, this is not the only parable or teaching that Jesus makes about it. Again, Matthew 24, he talks about a homeowner. He's saying, if the homeowner knew when a thief was coming, he'd be ready. Can you imagine getting an email, getting a, a message on, you know, a voicemail on your cell phone or your answering machine, if anyone still has an answering machine, and, and they're like, uh, by the way, this is Burglar Bob. Just wanted to let you know, uh, uh, me and my buddy here, we're going to hit your house tonight. At 2.30 in the morning, maybe 3 o'clock if, you know, if our other burglaries uh, take a little longer. If you get a message like that, what are you going to do? Just go to sleep? You're going to be staying up. You're going to be locking the house, forming a perimeter. You know, you'll be getting baseball bats, and you'll be getting rakes, and you know, some guns and firepower if you've got them. You, you get the police there. I mean, you're going to have the whole place scoped out. You're not getting my stuff, burglar Bob. Jesus said if the homeowner knew exactly when the thief was coming, he'd be ready. That's why many times it's referred Jesus is coming as a thief in the night because we don't know when, but we know he's coming. So the wise decision is live ready, be right with him. Also in Matthew 24, he talks about the homeowner and, and the overseer, the faithfulness of stewards while the owner is gone for a while when he comes back. And in fact, following this parable in Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. Overseeing what God has given and blessed us with. What we have, what we possess, what we own, we don't own it. We're overseeing it because God's blessed us with it. We oversee it until he comes. We don't know when that homeowner was coming back, but they were to remain faithful with what they were entrusted with. 
So time after time, teaching after teaching, story after story, Jesus is saying, no matter how long he takes, live ready. And it's the wise decision to make sure that you and I are right with God, that he's come in, he's cleansed us from our sins. So the first description here, living ready is a wise decision. Secondly, living ready is a personal choice. Look at it in verse 5. He says, as the bridegroom was delayed, they all, all ten of these bridesmaids, became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Again, the debate, were they just saying that because they had none or literally had just a little bit in there, they'd used it up and they needed more? Again, either way, they were not ready. Verse 9, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. In other words, I think Walmart's open 24 hours. Go to Wally World. You look fine. We were ready, we were prepared, we've got all that we need, but you did not live ready. It was your call, your choice, your decision, and you're not ready. And the foolish ones are finding out just how foolish they were. No oil for the lamps, but the wise had some. They're probably assuming... Again, whether they brought none or little, they're assuming someone's going to help me out. Someone's going to have my back. They're just going to give me what they've got. I wasn't ready. I'm not right. But someone's going to help me out. See, the wise ones not only anticipated it, but prepared for the arrival. They knew that the bridegroom could take a while. They knew that they might need a whole lot of oil, so they came prepared. The foolish ones anticipated it. I mean, they anticipated the bridegroom was going to come at some point, but they were doing nothing to prepare for it. So being prepared separated the wise from the foolish. Willem Barclay said, we cannot always be living on the spiritual capital which others have amassed. There are certain things we must acquire for ourselves. In other words, living ready, it's a personal choice. You and I can't borrow someone else's faith. Someone else's relationship with God. The, the foolish virgins, these foolish bridesmaids, they wanted to borrow what somebody else had. Somebody else was ready and somebody else was prepared. We can just borrow it. I don't have it myself, but let me just borrow it. You and I have got to be right with God. It's a personal choice. It's a personal decision. You and I must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thankful for a godly upbringing. I, I mentioned about growing up uh, ten different for, for 10 years in Springfield, Illinois. As most of you know, I'm the, the youngest of five. My dad was a Assemblies of God pastor for 40-plus years before passing away. Thankful to grow up in a godly home. Mom, loving the Lord down in Springfield, Missouri. 
I grew up in a home that loved God. But just because my dad was a pastor for 40 plus years, just because my mom has a relationship with God, just because some of my brothers and sisters were and still are in full-time ministry for the Lord doesn't mean I've got credits. So I just live however I want, and I'm going to skate by and skate in on somebody else's life. I've got to have a personal relationship with God myself. That's the same with you. I don't know what all of your lives are like, what your parents or grandparents are like or were like. Many of them perhaps had a vital and living relationship with God. But you and I don't get to heaven on mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or brothers or sisters or co-workers. We must have a personal relationship with God. No one else can do it for you. I'd love to make the decision for you watching or listening, for you seated in person here in our services. I can't make that decision for you. It's a personal choice. doesn't matter the home that you've grown up in. If you've not made that choice, if you've not made the decision to ask Jesus to cleanse and to forgive you, you're not ready. So these foolish ones, they say, hey, certainly we can get it from somebody else. They'll help us out. And the wise ones were saying, listen, we made the, the choice personally to prepare to be ready with the oil. That was our personal choice. Unfortunately, you've, you've made the personal choice not to live ready. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home. Had a godly mom or dad or grandma or grandpa. Maybe you've been through all of the Sunday school classes. You might be you might be a flannel graph master. You can identify the Bible story just by looking at, oh, that's Joseph. Yep, that's Mary. That's Daniel and the lions. You know every Bible story just by taking a look at the flannel graph. In fact, you might know all of the Sunday school stories because you've been through as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. You know a lot about God and about God's word. In fact, you know all the songs. You know all the motions that go to Father Abraham. Or you can sing the song deep and wide. Yes, yeah, some of you are starting to do the motions, right? I mean, you've got the songs down, you've got the Bible stories down, you've got the flannel graph down. Uh, maybe you've been through Royal Rangers, Missionettes, Girls Ministries. You know a lot of stuff about God, and that's great. But do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you invited him into your heart to cleanse and to forgive you of sins? We don't get by on just the stuff we know, on mom or dad, Based on all the stuff we've done, where we've served. He said, well, I came to VBS every single night. I, I gave up five of my own nights. And we say thank you. But serving in VBS every single night doesn't make you right with God. Man, I'm, I'm wearing my Alger Assembly of God t-shirt out everywhere. That's great. Are you right with God? Have you lived ready? 
It's not just knowing about him. It's knowing him in a personal relationship. And so as Jesus tells the story, he's saying, listen, living ready, it's a wise decision. But living ready is a personal choice. We've got to make sure that you and I personally, we are right with God. And as he finishes out this parable or this story, third and finally, he says, living ready is a continual process. Matthew 25, verse 10. He says, while they were going to buy. So the foolish were going to buy the oil. It says the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, they were living ready, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Pay attention to verse 13. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. He says, don't just you know, make that decision. Don't just live ready and have that personal decision, but be ready continually because the bridegroom could come at any moment. Jesus Christ could come at any moment. Each of these bridesmaids, they were living in anticipation that the bridegroom would come. Hopefully we have that anticipation that Jesus is coming back and Jesus is coming back soon. He could come back today or tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade. What's the familiar old song? He's coming soon. He's coming soon. With joy we welcome his return. It may be morn or evening, night or noon. We know he's coming soon. Do we know when? No, but it's soon. And it's sooner than ever before. I've heard as growing up in my dad's churches and, and other churches, he's coming soon. He could say, well, Pastor Mark, so you've heard that for years or for decades and he's not come yet? When's he coming? Soon. He's coming soon, so live ready. Don't just get ready for today and say, well, he didn't come, so forget it. I'm just going to live how I want. It's a continual process. It's imminent. It's coming soon. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. In other words, we don't know what's going to happen in our lives, but we also don't know when it is that Jesus Christ is to return. James talks about the future in chapter 4, 14. He says, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Boils our life down to a mist. In other words, it's there and it's gone we don't know all of what's going to take place in our life. We know that Jesus is going to return, but we don't know when. Again, Matthew chapter 24, leading up to our parable, verse 36, he says, Concerning that date and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
So Jesus himself, he's teaching, he's sharing stories with his disciples. He's saying, even I don't know when I'm to return. That's up to the Father. So we've got to be ready and live ready continually. Jesus has not returned yet, but he's coming soon. Maybe you remember hearing about that years ago or decades ago, maybe as a child, and, and people would point to some of the things taking place in the world and, and some of the different prophecies that were being fulfilled, right? And we say, wow, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. God's word is telling about some of these things. We know he's coming soon. But we don't know exactly when. So Jesus says, live ready. It's up to the timing of God the Father. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be still down the road in the future. It's that mix between, well, we want to live some of the things and experience some of life, and whether that's graduation, marriage, job, kids, grandkids, etc. We say, we want to experience life on this earth, but wow, I can't wait till Jesus returns to be with him. Live ready. It's that continual process of watching and preparing ourselves for Jesus' return But it's also that continual process of helping to ready others for his return. I know Jesus. I'm right and ready for him. How about you? What about some other family members, some other friends or co-workers or classmates or neighbors? What are we doing to ready and prepare others? Jesus says living ready is a continual process process. Don't disregard the fact it could happen and come at any moment. Keep watching, keep waiting, be prepared and ready to meet him. So in this story, in this parable, Jesus said some of the descriptions of living ready, it's a wise decision. It's a personal choice. It's a continual process. One commentator sums it up like this. Live as though Jesus is coming back today. Plan as though he's not coming back for a hundred years. Be ready, but plan. Plan, but be ready. Don't just make plans about the future. Don't just say, well, I'm sure I've got time to get right with God. I'm I'm sure that, you know, I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus later. Be ready. But plan and prepare. Prepare for a delay, but be right with God and be ready today. Let's not wait till the last moment to act on salvation. <music> 